ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the That's What She Said podcast, episode two. Episode two. Thank you so much for coming back. We had a lot of great feedback from episode one, and I'm surprised they let us back in the building. Actually, this is a different building. We are at the Red Bull Studios this time, so depending on how today goes, we'll see if they let us back in this building. We might just be constantly looking for a new home. We just might be moving around at all times. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, We have an awesome show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the time I almost stalked Derek Jeter, which I think will be fun. Also, Ray Lucas is coming in, and he's always entertaining, so that'll be fun. We can ask him some pretty interesting questions. Um, If you like podcasts, if you like me or Kyle or uh, sports in general, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube to the That's What She Said podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Alexa underscore NYC. You can also catch Red Bull on Instagram and Twitter at RB Studios NY. Figure out what they're doing and get a little bit more information on them. I want to start, though, Kyle, with the game that I was at on Tuesday when Peter, my husband, and I went to the Garden. We both are Maryland grads. We went to go rep our team and see Maryland play UConn in the Jimmy V Classic. And what what was a blowout in the first quarter? I mean, Maryland was up 38-22 in the first half. Got to be a really close game. And it ended up, UConn pulled to within three. Jalen Adams, this kid on UConn, was whistled for a foul on Mello Trimble, and Kevin Ali went crazy. Lost his mind. Lost his mind, and it was so inappropriate, especially because the players had worked so hard to come all the way back, and it was his fault, essentially, that what ended up happening ended up happening, which is that they lost the game, but... It was so crazy that they had worked so hard and he ruined it for them. So when he when the foul was whistled, he was teed up and he went ballistic. He threw all of the papers that were on the desk all over the floor. And mind you, this is on national TV. You're at the garden. You've got thousands of UConn fans there rooting for you. I mean, I was so embarrassed for him. And it's so uncharacteristic. Our friend Jason was telling us, and I agreed with him, that it's so unlike him to do something like that. It was awful. He said he didn't notice the papers on the table. Like when he when he threw them off, he said, oh, I didn't know there were papers I there. don't believe him. I mean, it was a grand spectacle. That was awesome to watch him just lose his mind and throw papers just all over the place. And bad for UConn getting the technical. They were on, they were on their way back at that point, coming down from such a huge deficit making their way back and he basically threw the game away for them. Yeah, and so and he's the one who's at fault. So if I have to talk to Kevin Ali, I would tell him to do exactly what our basketball coach back in high school made the players do when they embarrassed him, which was carry a huge stack of bricks around practice, like crab walk around practice. I think Kevin Ali should have to do something embarrassing at his practice just to show the players, listen, when I mess up, I own it too because it's not like him to do something like that, but it should be like him to own up to it. I used to have to run laps when I did dumb things in soccer. Like when my when my mouth was awful and I'd curse on the field, my coaches would make me run a lot. I actually spent most of my practices just running laps. You look like you're in great shape today. Uh, yeah, I got out of that real quick. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my uh, advice to, to Kevin Ali. I didn't particularly see him get teed up. Like your, your view was obstructed or? No, um, we left the game early because we had an early day the next day. So you didn't even see the shenanigans. You watched it later no. on well, any we, sporting network. No, okay. We used the Watch ESPN app on the way home in the cab. So we saw it live, but we didn't see it well, no, live. Yeah, live. No, you were there live, but you didn't see it live because you decided to leave early because it wasn't worth your time to stay and watch your alma mater play at the Garden. Right. 
We left early. I know. I'm so embarrassed. I never leave anything early. My parents were the kind of parents who would stay in the stands at games like or at the theater and everyone would just be filing out and we'd be the family sitting there waiting. Peter's the complete opposite. He wants to dart out so fast. At halftime, he was like, all right, so I think we should give this about five more minutes. I was like, of the half? Or like, what do you mean? What are we talking about? We're leaving? I, I don't really fault you for leaving early. I, I, I haven't left a hockey game early once. Anytime I've gone to see the Rangers, I've never left early, and I go a few times a year. I've never left of the Giants games I've gone to early. I leave baseball games early all the time, probably because the Mets generally are getting blown out, and I don't care. Well, you're a Mets fan, so that's a little tough. Yeah, no, it's, it's rough. However, when I should have left early, I stayed once at a Mets game. They were losing by like 10 runs. Okay. Jose Reyes was still on the team, so this was a few years ago. I stayed because Jose Reyes needed to steal one more base for three on the night for the promise of free chicken. Wait, who was promising free chicken? The Mets had a promotion that if three bases were stolen in one game, everyone in attendance got free Kentucky Fried Chicken, like a free two-piece thing. Oh, my God. When the Mets were losing in the seventh, we pretty much usually would leave because it's a pain to get home from City Field. We stayed because Jose Reyes could steal. Like, we were convinced by a friend of ours to stay. You just wanted free chicken. We all wanted free chicken. The entirety of City Field, which at that time was maybe like 10,000 people because they didn't sell out was chanting, we want chicken, as Jose Reyes was on first no, base. No, they weren't. No, lining they weren't. Up, yes, they were. Oh lining up God. to steal second. Terry wouldn't send him. Inning over, I feel like I wasted a large part of my life waiting for free chicken. And you got no chicken. We got no chicken. The Mets lost, and we had a terrible time in traffic on the way home. That's so embarrassing. I should always leave baseball games early. That's a Yeah, fact. you should. That's, uh, that's the lesson learned there. All right, moving on to some more embarrassing things that happened this week. Deshaun Jackson, Your oh Redskins. man, that was an awful game. I was on the floor, my head was in my hands, I was terribly nervous, I was sweating, I had no idea what was going on. They stick Deshaun Jackson back there to get the punt return. By the way, he hasn't done that much this season, so I don't understand why he's all of a sudden the secret weapon. He goes out there way overamped, tries to return the football, what, nine yards up the sideline? He goes he, backwards, he changed his mind. gets almost to the goal line, Goes the opposite direction and fumbles the football and essentially at that point loses the game for the Redskins. I was I was mortified. First of all, he goes out there way overamped and you could see it on his face. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me so much of Matt Harvey in game five because it was a situation where you had a guy who wanted to put the entire team on his back. He wanted to be the savior. He wanted to be the guy to do it. And he went out there like a kid on Christmas looking way too overamped. He had zero of his emotions under control. And he blew the game. That's essentially what happened. I loved him standing back there waving his hands at the Cowboys as if to say, kick it to me. I want this. I'm going to do something amazing. And he did do something amazing. As a Giants fan, I was just be beyond ecstatic as he gets the ball, runs forward nine yards, decides, I don't want to get hit, loop all the way back to about the two, and then at some point I'm in his, mi- in his mind, he's got to be thinking, I've made a terrible mistake and I'm going to pay for it dearly. And he did. Yeah, he did. Well, he, the thi- he paid for it. Well, the thing was, everyone said he redeemed himself because of the touchdown on the following drive, but that wasn't true because it was a tying touchdown and there was still time on the clock, enough time for Dan Bailey to go, you know, the length of the field and kick a field goal. But it it was a situation where I was talking to Eagles fans and they were like, nope, we know exactly how you feel because we've felt that situation several times. Like when Deshaun Jackson will, you know, take a 65-yard score Almost into the end zone, except he drops the ball before he actually gets into the end zone. And then you're left at the one yard line 
And it's a situation like, are you kidding me, Deshaun? Just because you were showboating? I mean, Eagles fans knew exactly what I was talking about. They they felt for me, and you know, I felt for myself. I was rooting I was, for I was, the, I was rooting for the Cowboys, which was very weird to be rooting for the Cowboys. I watched Cowboy fans rooting for the Redskins. It was it was a strange game. It was a terrible game for three quarters, and then in the fourth became ridiculous. Well, not even in the fourth. It was the last three minutes of that game was absurd. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole division is crazy. That has been well documented. But in a league where we find guys $11,000 for touchdown celebrations when Antonio Brown jumped on the field goal post, when we find guys like that for doing something fun and we don't crucify guys like Deshaun Jackson for essentially giving away the game, what kind of a world do we live in? I mean, Redskins fans let him off the hook so easily. He should have been murdered on Twitter. Your head coach is ready to give him another shot. I know. I know. And then he was back there again. I'm like, what is going on? Ready Are to we give serious? him another shot returning the ball. He doesn't know what he's doing. I can't wait. All right. Well, from worst to first we've been saying that a lot on this podcast we love talking about golden state because they are just so good still undefeated i said last week on the podcast that they were going to lose on this road on this road trip you didn't pick an actual game though which i, I didn't held you pick to. a game but i'm ready to pick a game now you're ready yeah Wh- which game there's only two games left on this road trip yeah. so it's a coin flip essentially that's for you. right 50 50 if they do end up losing um i'm gonna go with the celtics which is friday night celtics are looking pretty good they beat the bulls last night eight guys in double figures um They're number one in the NBA at forcing turnovers. I feel like if they're going to run into a problem, it's the Celtics on Friday night. What do you think about that? With my infinite knowledge of basketball. (laughs) I love this. I I love making you talk basketball. I still believe the Warriors are going to stay undefeated on this road trip. Just because I want to go exactly opposite of what you're saying. Because then at least one of us will be right. So I'm going to go with the Warriors are going to win at Boston. They're going to win at Milwaukee. They're going to go home. And they might have like a heartbreaker there. Yeah. Well, you probably will be right because he looks unstoppable right now, Steph Curry. And he got some help from Clay Thompson the other night. Ten threes. Wow. They just outscore everyone. They don't. Like you said, they play defense. You said they play fast. They just they don't. They know they're going to outscore their opponents. They they're not worried about how many you score because they just know they are going to put up more and win the game at the end of the day, regardless of their defensive performance. They're beating teams by an average of 14 points. That is insane. I was looking up the other night about the uh, winning streaks historically in the NBA. Lakers won 33 and 71-72 and then went on to win an NBA title. The Heat won 27 in 2012-13. They went on to win an NBA title. Golden State wins this year, it would be back-to-back, which is something that LeBron did, and we've had that Curry-LeBron discussion. I don't know, it's creeping a little bit closer into putting them into the exact same realm. What do you think? Well, they're at 23 on this season, plus the four carryover from the end of last year, which puts them at 27 tied with the Heat. Right. If you want to talk about the single season. I hate that carryover stuff, though. Well, then let's say they're at 23, even though statistics are going to say they've won 27 in a row. Right, right. And it's roughly the same team, so... No, that's you true. Can't. That's true. It's not like they got they added new pieces, like big pieces. It's still the same core of guys, and they added a few role players. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'd like to see them beat the Lakers, you know, run. I'd, I'd like to see a team go that far undefeated. That's something magical that you don't see very often. And even as a Knicks fan, just I don't have a real rooting interest in the Warriors, but it would be cool to watch. You know, every night you turn on Sports Center and you're just, okay, did they win? Fans are stalking him outside of his hotel. They're lining up like crazy waiting for his autograph. The guy can barely move around the lobby, let alone leave his building. It's getting a little out of control. That, it's like that Beatlemania. Bothers you? That bothers you? I mean, I feel bad for the guy. I don't, I mean, I don't know necessarily how it. he feels about it, but... It came on pretty fast, and all of a sudden you have trouble getting around your own city. He kind of signed up for it. You, you sort of accept that when you get into this kind of a career. Yeah. Um, speaking of signing up for it, the Knicks signed up for Kristaps Porzingis. And yes, last they did. night— I, I was not one of the ones booing when it happened. 
You weren't that kid crying on uh, I was not, national no, television? No, I was not that kid crying on national television. Yeah. Well, they signed up for Chris Stapps. They, uh, they got a terrible game out of him last night against the Jazz. How much did they lose by? It was so embarrassing. Like 30 points? It, it wasn't good. They were losing by 30 in like the first half. Yeah. It, was, it was a bad game out of them. Yeah. It was funny. Earlier in the week, Chris Stapps and Dirk Nowitzki... Uh, facing off and it was interesting how everyone keeps comparing them and then when I saw the two of them up next to each other it was like night and day this comparison is over I don't want to hear about it anymore you talk about comparing their stats for their first two seasons starting off their first 20 games right that's what people have been comparing these two stats but Dirk came to the United States like he said could barely speak English he was not necessarily NBA ready this is a completely different world we live in where Kristaps came com- you know ready he speaks English he's a completely different player he gets a lot of help it, i mean comparing those two stats to me makes zero sense everyone's going to make those comparisons though because you have the big giant tall white guy out of Europe now playing in the NBA which both of them are when they came in you know that you're not going to say Chris Stapps to LeBron. You just like you know they're not that type of player. But when you look at Chris Stapps and the way he played in the first couple of games, the way he can throw up a three, you sort of look at him and go, "Oh, there's little bits of Dirk." And you have to compare him to someone because that's just what everyone does. You're not going to compare him to a five foot two player. You're going to compare him to the exact same type of physical mold player, which is what Dirk is. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't compare them physically just yet. They're white and from Europe, but other than that, uh, that's what everyone's going off of. Yeah, but. Kristaps has so much growing to do. He's scrawny. Yeah, but I mean, watching that game a couple nights ago between the two of them, they kind of look the same in their like their build. Dirk isn't that much more built than Kristaps is, and they both they have a similar game. I'd like to see Przingis be more physical than like Dirk is a, a shooter. I want to see Kristaps be more physical. You know going for the forward for the Knicks because I think that'll benefit the Knicks more because they don't really have a physical presence. Yeah, I don't know if anything is going to benefit the Knicks, especially this season. All I right, will give down. Chris no, Abs- This season, no, not at all. This season's a wash. I will give Chris Abs, uh credit, though, because he went to go give Dirk a fist pound and Dirk quickly switched it to like a what's up, bro, handshake, and Chris Stapps went right with it. Wasn't awkward at all. It was super cool. People are calling, I mean, Peter credits himself, my husband credits himself for saying that Chris Stapps has swag. Uh, I, I'm kind of feeling that a little bit. I'm not giving him like total swag title, but I'm feeling that he's got a little bit more swag than people, or at least I gave him credit for originally. So we're at the point now where we're not going to talk about his basketball playing. We're nope. going to talk about his swagger and ability yep. to on the fly change his handshake styles. Yep, that's okay. right. Okay, I'll remember that when he's a champion later in his career. Huh, yeah, okay. Um, I, can, I can have hope. I can have hope. Are you a Knicks fan? You don't watch basketball. I watch All right, basketball. All right, calm down. <laughs> Speaking of comparisons, uh, last Thursday night's football game was one of the best football games I've seen in a really, really long time. And we well, that's because we're about, both Redskins and Giants fans. We don't get to watch good football games. We don't. But I watch a lot of football. And with no time on the clock, okay, and the phantom face mask that had been called on Aaron Rodgers, listen, I know that. It wasn't an actual face mask. He didn't grab the face mask. That part I don't really care about because a call was a call. But he's got one more play left, Aaron Rodgers. It's a 23-21 game. And all he has to do, all he has to do, is launch it downfield 70 yards. I guess it ended up being a 65-yarder to the end zone and hope somebody catches it. And he does it. That was the ultimate Hail Mary play. he completes the pass for... I mean, what I think is the best play, not only this season, I think in the past two seasons, it's the best football play that I've seen. You know what I'm going to say right now. Well, because you're a Giants fan. It's not even that I'm a Giants fan. Everyone will agree that the best play, Odell Beckham versus Dallas, drops back, makes the 
most acrobatic, wild extension you've ever seen and then catches the ball. Not with two hands, not with one hand, with three fingers. He pulls it in, holds it, gets the touchdown. I love the reaction of the guy off in the corner who sees it and just loses his mind. His mouth is on the floor. His hair is flying out of his head. That was the best play I've ever seen in football, period. Wow. If you want to go two years, that's it's better than Rodgers' play. It is. It was just, it, that was one of the greatest catches you'll ever see. Okay. Athletically, yes. It was an amazing play. And it was a feat that I've never seen before in football. But in terms of the repercussions and what the play meant, it was versus a divisional opponent, the Packers-Lions game, right? On the road. It was Giants-Cowboys when it happened. Okay. Let me ask you the one, the most important question, I think, that arises from this entire issue who won that game, Kyle? Can I plead the fifth? I don't remember. Yes, it you do. I mean, no, okay. no. All right. don't the, Cowboys, the Cowboys won that game, but exactly. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And no, I, you're right. Because it was the a play. The catch we're doesn't matter. About, no, no. We're talking about they a play. They lost, and we're the talking, catch doesn't matter. We're talking about a play. But it the, was the greatest play. But you have to take in con- the consideration all of the different elements of the play. What it meant, if it had any sort of playoff implications, who it was against, on the road, what the team had done recently. All of that has to be taken into consideration. You're making a lot of points to qualify your argument. I'm still sticking with Odell Beckham is the better. That's, that was the better play because that was, that's arguably the greatest catch you'll ever see. And Chris Collinsworth lost his mind when that happened. And I've never heard him just like bumble through words trying to come up with what to describe what just happened. And he's always very good at saying ridiculous things about Cowboys Giants games. I know because I try to watch the game on mute all the time because he loves the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, he couldn't help himself but applaud a Giant doing something ridiculous. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not taking anything away from it. It was a great play. The Aaron Rodgers play was better. But you know who's going to be able to settle this argument? We got Ray Lucas coming in. He's going to be able to tell us all about Odell Beckham Jr. He loves um, Odell Beckham, He I loves think, him. Which is what I'm going off of. Well, I'll ask him and we'll see what okay. he says. But I think he'll be able to help us um, settle this argument. So coming up next, we've got Ray Lucas. Well, podcast listeners, like I promised you, Ray Lucas is in the building. Former NFL quarterback, Emmy award-winning analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at RayLucas06. And Ray, Kyle and I were just talking about what we think are the two best NFL plays from the last two seasons, right? So Kyle thinks it's Odell's catch from last season, and I think it's Aaron Rodgers' Hail Mary from this season. So what do you think? I'm going Odell Beckham's catch. I mean, that's one in a million. To reach back like that with three fingers and catch that ball was absolutely – it might be the greatest catch of all time in the NFL. Wow. Can I just but say although, vindication? Vindication. I mean – No, but although the, the pass that at Aaron Rodgers threw, let's face it, that ball, if that was in Dallas Stadium, it would have hit the, the, the Megatron. Yeah, up yeah. there. I mean, that pass was – I know it was like 65 yards, but how far it went up in the air it had to be like 70, 75-yard throw. That, that was pretty impressive. Well, I'm and the implications for that is why I think it's a better play, only because of how the Packers needed that win yeah. to get into the playoffs, and or not to get into the playoffs, but for their playoff run, potentially. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the fact that they lost four or five coming in, you know, it was just, it was a crazy scramble at the end of the game. I think it meant more for them to get that win oh, against that a division opponent oh, on absolutely. the road. Oh, absolutely. That's huge. I mean, and, your implications, you're absolutely right, 100%. Yeah, 
And that's why I'm taking it all into consideration. And right. plus, the Odell Beckham game, they didn't win that game. The Cowboys won that, that game. Yeah, but that catch, though. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, thank you. That catch, though. It was what do you, ridiculous. What do you think of him in general as a receiver in terms of in history? Where do you put him? Well, I, I think he could be one of the greatest of all time if he continues to do what he does. Consistency in anything, especially in a wide receiver position. When you, when you look at college football and the transformation from college to the pros, the easiest position for somebody to come in from college is wide receiver because you're still running the same routes and you're still catching the ball. The speed of the game is different. Of course, the guys in front of you are getting paid a lot of money to stop you. But when you look at the Giants and you say, okay, who else does Eli have? Randall, you know, this is contract year. Yeah. He's not playing, you know, great. And then last week he comes out and says, oh, I'm pissed off. I'm not getting, you know, I'm second fiddle. Well, you damn right you second fiddle. It's Odell Beckham. Yeah. The fact that everybody knows Eli's throwing the ball to him and he's still catching it blows my mind. If you're a quarterback now in the league and I let you draft any wide receiver, are you going with him? No. Who? Megatron. Yeah. I mean, good Lord have mercy. You can throw the ball damn there anywhere you want to, and he's going to go up and catch it. And, you know, just think of Odell Beckham with another, what, six inches on his frame? I mean, he's six foot. Odell Beckham's six foot. Yeah. Well, Megatron's what, six six? Yeah. I mean, and he's what, 250, 240? Me- I mean, he is Megatron for a reason. He's Good a Lord guy. have mercy. I mean, if there's one guy I'm picking to start my, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be Johnson. But no in, Od- in Odell's credit, he's doing things that Johnson does with that smaller frame. Oh, no. And well, we let's were, not forget, he could jump out the gym, too. Yeah. He we, could climb the ladder. We were trying to figure out guys of that size throughout history, and it's. I mean, I don't want to start throwing out, but Jerry Rice was the same, like, yeah. similar size. I mean, I, I don't want to start. Different game. Yeah. I don't want to start comparing Odell Beckham to Jerry Rice, but just size-wise, there's not a lot of guys even right now who are as small as Odell and does what Odell well, does. Well, let's not forget, too. He has an orangutan hands. He Big hands. I mean, big hands. Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't a one-handed catch. It was a three-finger three catch. Three-finger catch. That's why it's spectacular. That's crazy. Yeah. When you're watching that Jets-Giants game, I mean, how how deep does your love for the Jets go? You know what? I, I was I was always a Dallas. Well, my father was a Giants season ticket holder, so obviously I was a Dallas fan. I, you know, I'm going the total opposite of what my dad likes. Uh-huh. Uh, but once you've been covering the Jets for ten years, I am such a fan now. Where, you know, when we're downstairs in in our NCY studios, I got in trouble for cursing too much down there, and you know, throwing chairs and whatnot. So, it's uh, I take it very serious. I'm very passionate about the New York Jets. Um, you know, a lot of the guys I know, like Willie Colon and, and, you know, Big Cat Williams and stuff like that. So, you know, when you're out of practice, I root for them. You know, th- that's my team. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, there's only one way to root. I'm a little f- crazy when it comes to it. You know, Just a bit. I, we witnessed some of it. Yeah, it's amazing, I, I've been though. in the principal's office a couple yeah. times. So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 194 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter alone in that game. Are you surprised about what he's done with this team? I'm not, really. I mean, if you look at the talent from a year ago to where the talent is this year, mm-hmm. it's it's not even close. Um, I think Fitzpatrick is very intelligent. Um, it's kind of funny that he uses his legs and everybody's like, he's got to slide. But when you're in the in the moment, there's no freaking sliding. I mean, I learned to slide after I got my head knocked off about five times. And then, you know, as, my, as I got older in my career – you know, you got down, but, yeah. you know, when it's fourth and six and there's a guy at the six yard, you're low on your shoulder. Yeah. I mean, the guy's a soldier. He's played hurt so far. I mean, with the whole thumb thing. Uh, and again, he's very intelligent, limited, limited in some ways, you know, throwing the deep ball down the field. But again, 30 yards and under, he's a surgeon with it. So you mentioned your career and uh, getting knocked out a couple of times. Concussions are a huge issue in the league yeah. right now. Do you feel like the league's doing enough to protect these players? What, well, what's your take on well, it? Well, again, I mean, from where I played where, you know, you they call them burners and stingers on defense. Two different words, same thing. 
Um, I remember playing in Miami game, and uh, I think it was like second down. You know, Parcells always told me you have to be like the mailman. I don't care, rain, sleet, hell, snow. If you got to stand in the pocket and take a hit, you got to deliver the football. Well, Darrell Gardner was coming in, and the last second I turned my head sideways, and when he hit me, the lights went out. So I was literally on the floor, and then, you know, my big fatties came up to try to get me up. I'm like, get the fuck away from me. I, I, I don't even know where I'm at. And the trainers came out, and they started, like, joking or something. So I got so mad, you know, I, I, I told them, you know, shut the up. But it came out like, so they started laughing even more, so I was even more pissed. So by the time they get me up, I get to the sideline. The trainer behind me is giving the cut signal to Parcells. Uh-huh. And Parcells says, are you, are you all right? Are you fucking all right? And I said, yeah, I'm good. He goes, stay right here. So I didn't know where I was. He said, what's play number four in your wristband? I could read. I read the play. They sent me back in, get into the huddle. You know, we had the, the microphones in the helmet, call the play. I called the play, and I said to Keyshawn, what the hell do I do? And he's like, what, what, what do you mean, what do you do? I'm, I'm calling Tim. I go, don't call, just tell me what to do. Uh-huh. Drop back, roll to your right, and then throw it to me in the end zone. I said, okay, cool. What's it on? So my center came away. I was like, see that big clock over there? The, don't make sure you snap it before it goes to zeros. And I said, I could do that. And he said, we're going to go silent count. Just tap my butt when you want me to snap it. Mm-hmm. Snap the ball, drop back, roll, touchdown. I was in the middle of the field. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Wow. Like, everybody was screaming. So, I'm, you know, I'm just looking at my shirt, screen. Everybody was going to the sideline. So as I got to the sideline, Kevin White came up behind me and, you know, gives me, like, a good job look on my helmet, and I fell out again. Right on the sideline, knocked completely unconscious. But I finished the game. Did so, you watch the video later and realize exactly what had been going on and what you had kind of missed? Well, yeah. I mean, we watched the film. It was, it was kind of it was kind of funny. I mean, it's it's really this is not a laughing matter. But no. when you go through something like that, and then the next day you're watching film and you're like, wow, man, he really he really got after it. And you could tell I was you know fuzzy and stuff. Like yeah. they were holding my arms, but I was kind of doing the drunk walk to the right a little bit. But I think nowadays with the taking of the helmet. I think that's huge. Yeah. You know, you saw Jason Wynn maybe three years ago get into that thing. They took his helmet. He was threatening the trainers on the sideline, give me back my helmet. That's just the way our mentality is. I mean, you look at a guy like Eli Manning. Mm -hmm. Why is he playing? For what reason? He's been Super Bowl champ. He's been the MVP of the league. What does he have to prove to anybody? It's just our mentality. It's, It's just, you know, it's like a challenge to our manhood. I'm playing until, like, when I hurt my back, they said you could do two things. Get surgery and you're done. Your career's finished. Or... Play with it. But if you get hit hard enough in a certain way, you could be paralyzed. I was like, all right, let's go. Wow. You know, let's play. I don't, I mean, that's, I'm not, I'd rather be paralyzed than not play. Okay. Well, you mentioned Eli Manning. What about Peyton Manning? When do you know that it's time to hang him up? If Peyton called you today, would you tell him, listen, it's time for you to stop playing football because you could end up, you know, losing your life at this point. It's that dangerous for you? Yeah, I would. I I really would. And and, and I wouldn't take anything away as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Everybody knows that. I mean, what does he have to prove? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. But that mentality that I was talking about Mm -hmm. takes a special person to get to that far and and to do it that well for so long. But again, you got all the scratch in the world. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You got a family, your kids, Everything's you're going to be taken care of for the rest of your life. You know he's going to be sitting behind a microphone as soon as he retires. Uh-huh. So what? What's the purpose for that? Another ring? Right. I mean, come on. To me, it's just I could say that now because now I'm sitting on the other side, right? Where it's safe, where nobody could friggin' hit me while I'm behind the friggin' microphone. But for for I know the mentality. You know, he's had almost the same neck surgeries I have. Yeah. You know, so to me, I would say it was the same thing when I had saw Corbett play one of his games where he got tackled and smashed his head into the ground. His eyes rolled back. Mm-hmm. So we were at the studio. I was texting him already. Come on, man, stop. You know what I mean? You got your whole life ahead of you. 
all that stuff. I mean, because you know, you do care about these guys, even though you might not know them. Mm-hmm. It's a fraternity, you know. It's and, and it's you know, it's something that nowadays people are getting aware of it. You know, people are looking. Like I always just say, nobody's everybody sees Sundays, nobody sees Mondays. Yeah. Do you reach out to guys now? Who are in the league who have gotten hurt and who are rehabbing or going through situations? Not and- really. Like the the guys like that saved my life, the past group, when we had a whole bunch of guys come in. Now guys call me and say, you know, because they know my my story, you know, mm-hmm. the painkiller addiction, the, the you know, depression and anxiety and all that stuff. So they're, you know, I have a friend like Richie Anderson who's my fullback. You know, he's been calling me. I don't know what about, but he said he has some issues, which, you know, people in the NFL have to realize if you play a certain amount of time, you're coming out of there with something. Yeah. I mean, you're not coming unscathed. I don't I don't give a shit what position you play. I mean, you're not going to come out and you're just going to be regular rock. The other thing that people don't realize is there's only five guys on every team that makes over $5 million. So all these young guys like myself who played and never really got that big check, you're going to have to go to work and support your family. This is not something you just turn off and you get into the real world. That's where I think the NFL messes up because the transition from the NFL to real life, you know, you walk down the street when you're in the NFL, everybody knows who you are. Yeah. You walk past that same guy a year after you're removed from the NFL, he'll walk right past you. Yeah. And that's hard to deal with. You know, where everybody knows you, then everybody just walks past you on the street. And like a guy like me who graduated from Rutgers, I would consider myself street smart. And, you know, I could work between the both worlds, mm-hmm. but you don't want to do anything else. Football is everything. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it since I was little. So that whole year, it was just like, what, what am I going to do with myself? You know, my wife's like, ah, you're educated. I don't give a shit. I want to play football. So, you know, I, I get the mentality, uh-huh. and I hope it's getting better. But, you know, these guys have to realize, guess what? You're going to have to go to work and get a job and, you know, get into the real world like everybody else does. How often do you personally reflect on that time when it was really dark for you, when you were addicted to painkillers and you were going through that depression? I was reading an excerpt out of your book where you literally talk about how you drove over the GW Bridge yeah. planning the end. Well, it was kind of funny because, you know, you call everybody, you know, when you're taking 1,400, 1,600 pills a month, your clarity, I could say, is not fucking really where it should be. Yeah. Uh, I called a whole bunch of places that, you know, you're supposed to call for the NFL, and they would send me a dictionary to fill out. Well, if I'm taking 1,400 pills a month, I'm not filling out 800 pages of paperwork. So I called the last place, and I told the lady I was going to kill myself, and she said, I'm very sorry, Mr. Lucas, but we're in a fundraising phase. Wow. And I, you know when you hear something, but you don't really hear it? Uh-huh. Well, the Jersey in me, the profanity was my number one language. I gave her some hot shit. Yeah. Like, I, I, at, at the end of that, I was sitting in my thing, and I had, you know, big puddle of tears in front of me. And I said, that's it. I, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. And everything just kind of eased up on me. Like, the pain wasn't as bad. So, you know, it's in the middle of the winter. I jump in my car, put the windows down, music was blasting. And I rode over the George Washington Bridge upper low about six times. Trying to find the right spot where I knew I could get my truck off the bridge so somebody would see me. So they could tell, you know, my wife and my kids, well, we saw him go off over. Uh, but, you know, like anything else, I'm blessed. You know, uh, one of my old doctors heard the recording that I left on a thing and told me to call this woman. And the rest was history. So, you know, I tell my story. Like, you know, when you think of addict, you don't think of a former football player. You think of the bum on the street that you walk past or the guy that has homeless, can you give me a dollar for food? You think of those guys. You don't think about an NFL player. And when I, where I was at in rehab, I mean, I was at the cream of the crop. CEOs, CFOs, doctors, surgeons. I mean, drugs don't care. Addiction doesn't care what color, what race, what background, how much money you have. Once it gets in you, it's over. And unless you choose to get better, 
you know, I was with a lot of guys in there where it's $40,000 a month yeah. where I was at. Yeah. I, I mean, granted, I got mine pro bono, but one guy came and he was just like, I'm just here for 30 days just so I can get everybody off my back, but I'm going back to doing what I was doing before. So you're sitting there like, wait a second, you're paying $40,000 to shut people up? Wow. It's crazy. Well, speaking of somebody who has dealt with addiction in their family and also who has let, uh, lost somebody from a car accident, um, I'm really grateful that you got the help that you did, and it's awesome to have you Thank here. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, that means means a lot for you to tell your story to us, because mm. every time you tell a story, no matter who listens, if there's one person one out there person, that it can help, you're absolutely that's all right. that matters. I mean, when, when I do tell a story, I remember the first time they asked, because I'm a Jersey boy. You show shines a weakness in New Jersey, somebody's going to try to exploit it. So yeah. when they first asked me to tell my story, I was like, are you fucking nuts? Like, somebody will come ring my bell just to test me just because I said, you know, I'm I'm weak or I'm, I have a, I'm, you know, I'm hurt. And uh, I thought about that night, and I was like, how many other dudes are out there like me? Like, really? How many guys are suffering in silence? Because, you know, when you play football, weakness, surrender, these words don't exist in our vocabulary. So it's that hard to sit at home and say, can you give me some help, please? It's, it's so hard just to ask the freaking question. So for me, like if somebody just hears my story, and like you said, Alexa, if it's just one, yep, and, and maybe somebody's brother, maybe somebody's aunt, whoever the hell it is, you know, when you receive the gift that I received, if you don't give it back, it's a sin. Yeah, I agree. It's a sin. So do you think this Will Smith concussion movie will turn heads? Do you think it'll be controversy that people oh, will man. make some different changes about, or it'll it'll change the game? What do you think? You're going to see it Wednesday, I heard, right? Yes, Is that the situation? yes. I'm okay. going to go with uh, uh, Dr. Ficazio, who uh, started past. We're all going to go and see it. A little bit early. Okay. Uh, I got to be honest. With you, I'm looking forward to it, but yeah. I'm 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 a little shocked, like that the NFL didn't try to shut it down. Like, well, they yeah. did have some pushback towards it. As far they did. As, like they. Uh, but you mean like yeah. the the biggest business in the world, not just shutting it down and silencing it? That's what yeah, you're saying. Like yeah. Like I was a little surprised, you know, when I saw the the first um, trailer. What a trailer was that they call it? Yeah. And I was thinking that movie's never going to get out. Yeah. There's no way that's going to get out. You know what I mean? And, Some guy's going to disappear one day who's carrying a tape down the street. Yeah. yeah. Like, I really freaking thought that yeah. there's no possible way they could let this thing come out. And, and you know, the the whole concussion lawsuit that I'm a part of, you know, you, you hear the big settlement money. And who knows if you're going to get a dime from that. I, yeah. I just wanted to know the knowledge. I just wanted to know what they know. You know, I, I wanted to know, like, you know, already I'm having problems. Like, I'm colorblind because of my concussion. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I leave the house and look like fucking Ronald McDonald. But... <laughs> You know, that's why I have my wife so she could, you know, I'll leave, I'll say, I'll stop by her work and be, hey, am I good to go, <laughs> you know? But I want to know what they know, like, because I'm already starting to do those little tiny things. Like, I'll be at the refrigerator with the door open and my daughter will say, Dad, what are you doing? And I'll be like, what? She's like, you've been standing for 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh. I, and you forget, you know, what the hell I was doing. So I'll close the door, go sit down, and it'll come back to me at 15. Oh, you were going to get a drink. Like, it's that little things that are starting to make me get a little... You know, a little panic stricken yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, no, of course. And I'm sure that's hard for your family, too. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of your family, you've got three daughters. Yes. My baby's birthday today. She's 21. Happy birthday to her. A little yes. scary for you, though, right? Uh, yeah. Raven is was my first. Me and wifey. Well, I married my high school sweetheart. You know, the first time I kissed her, I was in eighth grade. She was a junior in high school. And I was fucking ugly. <laughs> I had the buckwheat hair and the friggin' Michael Strahan. You could drive a friggin' train through the front of my mouth. <laughs> Uh, so I definitely I'll kick my coverage, but it's difficult, you know. Even though you had the, my baby when she was young, 
Like for me to go to a bar and see her there, it's going to be a problem. Because she's turning 21. Yeah. Today she's 21. That like, is huge. Yeah, it's it's unreal. You know what I picture when I picture you having your daughter maybe have like a, a male date come to the house? I picture that scene from Bad Boys where Will Smith and oh, Martin yeah. Lawrence oh, yeah. have the guns <laughs> and just like scare the shit out of the kid who shows up to the door. I, what do you do to guys who come come courting she, your well, daughter? My, my oldest one has a boyfriend okay. and I, I don't make anything easy. Yeah, you know, like I remember when I was. You have dating, a shotgun in the house. You. I, I have a couple pistols. I don't shotgun. I'm too. I'm that makes me nervous. Okay. It's too much of a you know the spray will go all over. It's not going to be good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I remember when I was dating my wife. Her she's Cuban. My wife's 100 percent Cuban, uh-huh. and her mom came from Cuba. They came over when she was six months old. So she's old school. My mother in law. So I would have to sit on the porch. I was never allowed in the house when I was dating my wife when I was in high school. Like wow. you, you had to sit on the porch. So whatever I went through, guess what. Every friggin' boyfriend they got's gonna friggin' go through. Good, I like that. So you know, for the first you know year, like you know, my my door's like, oh, Mike's coming over. I say, oh, good, have a nice time on the porch. <laughs> so you know, me and wifey begin the arguments. Like, why can't he come in the house? It's, it's not even up for discussion. Yeah, like he's fucking standing on the porch. That, that's basically it. But he's grown on me. He's a good kid. He's a soccer player. Oh, great! Is, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a little different, you know. But he's an athlete and. uh my daughters, I'm blessed. I really am. Like I have, I have good girls. And my wife, for what she went through with me during that addiction for three years, I mean, bankrupting the whole house and almost having a house foreclosed, and we sold it in one day. And you know, we moved to an apartment that was a rock throw away from the North Bridge, and had drunk people knocking on my door all night long. You know, she's a soldier. She's you know, I play with a lot of tough guys. She's probably. The toughest woman, toughest person I've ever met. Well, good for her. Let's give her some credit too. Yeah, that's she, really, that's she really does. important. I mean, and that's, that's huge. That's as you know. Yeah. You know, you have to have that support if you're going to make it through. Yeah. And you know, I would be lying. Like I don't remember a lot of stuff, and I think that's for a good reason. But she remembers everything. Of course. Yeah. So you know, the crying on the bed with my three kids and not knowing if I was going to wake up or not, and that kind of stuff. I didn't know that until after. I mean, it's, it's so simple. As I, I got out of rehab and I went home, and me and my wife were just having coffee. She started crying. I was like, shit, I haven't even left the house yet. You know, like I didn't do anything. And she said, we're, we're having a conversation. Like, I, I never had a conversation with my wife for three years. You know, that's, you got to be, you know, she's a ride or die chick. Like, you know, you, if I, if she's crying because we just had a conversation in three years. That's, that killed me. That's when I was like, my legs were cut out. So you wrote a book called Under Pressure, How Playing Football Almost Cost Me Everything and Why I Do It All Again. So I under the I understand the um, sentiment of wanting to do it all again because yeah. that's all you know, right? right? Is that kind of where that comes from? You know what? It comes from the fact that you don't really appreciate it while you're doing it. Okay. And then when it's over, like you look back and say, damn, man, I wish I would have stayed in the moment because it's a job in reality. But, you know, like my daddy said, if you wake up and hit the snooze button, you ain't doing the right job. Right. I didn't need a clock to wake up when I was playing football. I was up at 630, got home at 930. I love what I do. What you're passionate about, yeah. So, you know, when it's taken away because of injury, Mm -hmm. like if I would have walked away from the game on my own terms, I think it would be better. But the fact that I had to leave because of my back injury, it's it's tough. Like it's the first, last thing I think about when I go to sleep. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. So Knowing what you know now, if you could go back and tell your younger self something, what would you tell yourself? Oh, my God. That's wow. a freaking good oh, you, question. You got Thank you. Stop. Really good That's speechless. Awesome. I love Holy it. Holy crap. Uh, man. That's a really good question. That's a fantastic question. Thanks. And I'm not one to get tripped up at all. I don't, man, shit, I got I to think about that. Any advice Lex. or anything that you would say to yourself? The one thing I would say is, you know, I, I remember a time where I was playing for the Dolphins and I had a separated shoulder right before half. Okay. 
and they couldn't get it back in. So I Mel Gibson it, like slammed it into the wall and went it back in. So mm. Jay Feeler wasn't playing yet, and we had a guy that was there for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that came in and said, "We need you in the second half," and you know, brought the doctor in. They were going to shoot my shoulder up, and the doctor wouldn't do it. Because he knew my, you know, I had rotator cuff. He said, it's, it's not going to help. It's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Doctor leaves. They come back in with the head trainer. I took five Vikes, and they shot my shoulder up. Like, they would put the needle in. Then they would move the needle around. And when it, I, like, when it hit something, like, <gasps> then they gave me some juice. Well, I threw four picks in the second half. And I couldn't see out of my right eye. That's how high I was. And uh, I wasn't strong enough to tell them, no, I can't go. Because I hurt the team. I, I one hand I went up right after the game was over and I said for the first time in NFL history one guy lost the game for everybody because I wasn't strong enough to say I can't go you know what I mean that's one thing I would say like you know they challenge your manhood at all times but there's some points in your in your career where you have to say you know what if I step out there I'm not helping the team I'm hurting the team yeah. so that would be definitely something I would have told myself listen if you can't go you can't go okay period. well that explains a lot because I don't know if you've seen the Wikipedia mm-hmm. entry. About yourself, no. about that game. Really? Yeah. It's it's. Uh, first of all, they dogged you out, dude. They really? dogged you out. Yes, I have to read this. Do you mind yeah, me reading this? Yeah, hit me with it. I like it. Ray Lucas holds the unenviable distinction of worst single game quarterback performance by any Dolphin on October twentieth, two thousand two, in one game against the Bills. Lucas was responsible for six turnovers, four interceptions, and two fumbles. The player that caught the most passes from Lucas was Buffalo cornerback Nate Clemens. Yeah, that was that game. High as a kite. Wow. Unbelievable. Couldn't feel my shoulder. I mean, it was I was heartbroken. I was so upset after the game that I left my wife in the parking lot. Oh, my God. All my boys flew in, and I guess she knew, like, by my face. I just walked right to my car and went home. And the medicine I got when I got home was I just heard daddy. And it kind of made everything okay because they didn't watch the game. They didn't know. They didn't care if I threw four picks or I threw eight touchdowns. Yeah. They were just daddy, and that was kind of the thing that got me, I'm not going to say out of it because I was very angry. I'm either angry or I'm happy. I don't have middle ground. And if you scare me, it goes to anger immediately. So, you know, that was that that was it. I mean, and they're right because I wasn't strong enough to tell them, no, I'm not going to go. No, you're not going to shoot me up. No, you're not going to give me all these vikes. It was also the culture back then, though. I mean, I wouldn't put it all on you. I would put it on the culture a lot, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, but like, you know, I mean, in reality, it's always like, you know, how strong are you or how much can you take? And back then, like when I first came into the league, Parcells told me, keep your friggin' mouth shut and watch what the vets do. And that's what they do. They take medicine because it's a rough game and they keep playing. Because if you're not playing, you're out of sight, out of mind. And you open the door to somebody else and they come in and kick the door off the hinges. You're SOL. Yeah. You got any good stories from guys back in the day? Any sort of fun things about guys we don't know about or something entertaining or scary or spooky? <laughs> no, just kidding. Any sort of uh, personalities that we don't know too much about? I We were playing Miami, and I was back up. And when Vinny was quarterback and he liked me to stand like towards the back of the defense so I could see you know what coverage it was. So I was a bit of a shit talker, and I've been my whole, you know, even when we were losing by 49 to Miami, I was talking shit to everybody. Warren said, 49 nothing, I'm still talking shit. So Sam Madison was playing, and he was on my side, and I immediately started talking crap to him. So as it gets to, like, the end of the second quarter, he gets tackled out of bounds. So I did what Willie did. I walked up on him, and I was like, he was like, please, bitch, stop talking to me. You can't even get in the game. I said, bitch, you're lucky I can't get in the game because I'll be throwing at you all day. He poked me in the eyes. It was friggin' awesome. 
Like, who would think of somebody like, you know, and it was quick, boop, and I was blind, and I was like trying to get after him, but I had my eyes closed. So the next year, I go to Miami, and um, on my visit, and I'm, I'm in the weight room with John Gamble and stuff, and I, and I saw Jason Taylor, and they were like, nah, we don't want him, get him out of here. And then I saw Sam, and he was like, dude, are we good? I'm like, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> like, I've been waiting to do that to somebody on the sidelines that you did it to me. I mean, those kind of things, you know, happen all the time. I mean, you know, I, I also remember like a bad story where... Bill Romanowski, probably the dirtiest player I've ever seen in my entire career in football. And he made a tackle on me, and he had his face mask in my knee, and I was trying to pretend like it wasn't hurting. And he was just dead in my eyes looking at me, and then I was like, I made like a little grimace, and he p- took both hands and pulled his face mask into my knee. So uh-huh. I said, okay, bitch, is that how we're going to play it? We ran a sweep to Curtis, uh-huh. and he was playing right defensive, so he came down. He came, I, tried to, I tried to end his career. So I drive into his knees, and he's like, oh, it's out. You know, we're talking shit. I get to the sideline part. Sales grabs me by the face mask. He said, are you fucking done? Because if you're not, you'll never play this game again. And I said, coach, I'm good. He goes, get the fuck out of my sight. Wow. And he was your biggest mentor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing for me is, too, like, when I got to the NFL, if you were at training camp in New England, you'd be like, 15, this sucks. (laughs) He's definitely not making his team. So for me, it was like, how can I get noticed? But because I was playing wide receiver, I've never played wide receiver before. Mm-hmm. So I'd start a fight every day. So after one point, my coach Parcells calls me. He says, "What is your fucking problem? Why do you?" I said, "He goes, what? What is? What's going on?" I said, "What do you mean? What's going on?" He said, "Well, why do you keep starting fights?" I said, "Am I talking to you right now?" I said, "You won't see me unless I right. do something for you to see me." And he's like, "You know, you freaking Jersey boys." And I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> oh, yeah, where are you from?" <laughs> So we're at special teams practice one day, and you know the vets always tell you, "Don't, don't be an ass." Like you know, go through the motion, so to speak. Uh-huh. Well, Parcel says, "You got three plays, Lucas. So you're gonna watch this shit on Sunday on your couch." And I was like, "Yeah, whatever." So the next play, I did the same thing, and he's like, "That's one." So I, the, the, the switch went. So the next one, I blocked the punt. Then I blocked the second punt, but I came real close to hitting Tupa. So he goes, "That's enough." the switch was on. I wasn't stopping. This time I ran into Tupa. So he said, sent me out of practice. Now in New England, you had, it's like a mile away. Uh-huh. All the vets had golf carts. So I walked a mile to the door and I hear the whistle. And he goes, come back. So I'm like, Shh. I walk all the way back. He goes, you forgot something. And I said, what? And it was everybody's shoulder pads and helmets I had to take back into the friggin'. Wow. Yeah. So. That's pretty good. Yeah. So we usually end the podcast with um, an embarrassing or funny story. Those are pretty, those are amazing. I mean, I can't top that. But um, so I usually throw one out. So here's my Derek Jeter story. Okay. So I'm the in, the in-stadium host out at City Field. Right. And last season during the Subway Series, Derek Jeter walks out of the tunnel as we're leaving the game. And I'm with one of my co-hosts and I drive him home. And he turns to me and he says, hey, that's Derek Jeter. Let's go take a picture with him. And I say, hey, I know that's Derek Jeter. I'm not going to do that because right. I'm going to respect his privacy. He's walking with his girlfriend. He's walking sure. with his car, whatever. So my co my coworker runs up to Derek Jeter and he's like, yo, let me get a picture with you. Let me, you know, let's take a selfie. And Derek Jeter's like, um, okay, fine, I guess. The security guard's like, no, 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 no photos. My coworker cuts in front of the security guard, jumps over a barricade to stand next to Jeter. The security guard's pulling him away. He's like, no, I work here. I'm allowed to do this. Don't, you know, don't touch me. And Jeter's looking at me like, who the hell are you people? He's freaking out. <laughs> he, he's scared shit because we essentially skipped over the security guard, which is his only barrier between sure. 
us and himself and his girlfriend standing right there. He's just trying to get in his car and go home. And I am mortified. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm so embarrassed for us. I'm so embarrassed for him. His girlfriend's looking at me like I'm the issue. I don't even know what to do. I get in the car. My heart is beating so fast. I'm like, we're going to get kicked out of the job. I'm probably never going to work here again. The next day at brunch, I'm telling all my girlfriends. They're like, I mean, I hope you never see Derek Jeter again. I look over the next table. It's Derek no Jeter. No friggin' way. <laughs> yeah. He looks at me. He looks at me again. He got out of there so fast. Like, as fast as really? you can leave a restaurant, he darted out of there. I think he thinks I'm stalking him now. So. Oh, God. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah, so you ever talk to Derek Jeter? Because I probably won't again. Let him know that I'm not stalking him. You're not stalking him? Yeah. We'll, we appreciate we'll contact that. the Players' Tribune and try and get Derek try Jeter to, get to come them, on yeah, the show. Yeah, because I, I freelance like, at the Players' Tribune, so that's another right. knock on my... <laughs> My resume of wanting to stalk him, apparently. <laughs> Ray, thank you so My much pleasure. for being Whenever here. You need I me, really let me appreciate know. it. This Absolutely. was awesome. I you guys fun. can follow Ray Lucas on Twitter at RayLucas06. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Alexa underscore NYC and at RB Studios NY. Kyle, thank you. Abiel, thank you. And let's go get a snack. Snack time, baby. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> 